chapter 3 and verse number 9. We're going to continue our study this morning on the subject of giving and receiving, giving and receiving. And I would be uh, remiss if I, if I did not give some honor this morning to Sister Melanie, and I know uh, Brother Rick and Sister Naomi helped her, and I'm sure there were others, and if I'm leaving you out, I apologize, but uh, they worked uh, some long hours to get all these Christmas decorations up here and in different parts of the building. So let's uh, show them some love and some appreciation this morning. Amen. 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 We're going to continue uh, on giving and receiving. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So many times when we read the scriptures, we read them with preconceived notions, preconceived ideas, things that we've heard in the past, things that we've been told, sermons that we've listened to, books that we've read, and many times those preconceived ideas become the filter through which we read the Word of God. And because of that, we often miss what it is that God's actually saying and miss what it is that He is trying to reveal to us. And If you just simply look at what this verse is saying, God is saying give so that you can receive. He's saying give and honor him. And remember, there's no greater honor than trust. And so when he says to honor him with our possessions, he's talking about uh, something that's measurable, something that's tangible, more than just words that we say. And then the first fruits of all your increase. Remember, all increase comes from God. God is the source of all increase, and then he says to honor him with the first of the increase. And he says, do this in order that, do this for this reason, do this so that to such a great extent your barns will be filled with plenty. Now, they were an agricultural society. We're we're a little different society, but nonetheless, when he talks about barns, maybe we would think in terms of our storehouses, which for a lot of us, are bank accounts, checking accounts, savings accounts, and vats. Again, these were places where wealth and increase was stored in reserve. And so notice now he's saying that so that your reserves will be full to overflowing. Remember, God took his people from the land of Egypt, which was a place of not enough, through the wilderness, which was a place of barely enough, into the land of promise, which was a land of more than enough. And, and God desires for us as his children to live in a place of more than enough, this place of plenty. Somebody say plenty. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow. Amen. So plenty and overflowing is God's desire for you. Just like any parent in this room who loves your children, you want your children to have You want your children to prosper and to be blessed. God desires the same things for his children. So when we go back to reading the scriptures with preconceived ideas, um, religious minds have told us that that we should never give to receive. Jesus, Jesus never said don't give to receive. He said don't give out of pride. Don't give just so people will pat you on the back for your giving. But he actually did say give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We see later, and if you're new to the study this morning, this is, I think, part eight of this series. It's all free online. You can watch it, listen to it, 
download it, podcast, video, however you, you know, would prefer, should you feel led to, to go back uh, and, and look at some of the things we've covered already. But we even see that Father God equates giving and receiving to sowing and reaping. From God's perspective, these two are, are one and the same. When we give in the way that he's instructed us to in his word, it's the same as a farmer planting a seed. And we know that a farmer plants the seed so that he can harvest the potential that resides within the seed. And if you, he said, if you sow or give sparingly, you will reap and, 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 and harvest sparingly. But if you give or sow bountifully, you will reap uh, and harvest bountifully. So honoring God with our possessions is a tangible expression of trust. And it's the trust that's the, that's the true lesson here. Learning to trust God and to honor Him with a tangible expression of our trust. And so we've asked this question over and over again. I'm wanting you and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God to answer this for yourself. But has God promised to bless and increase you financially when your giving honors Him? Has God promised that? Again, I'm not asking you what religion has said about it, what they've talked about at your mom and M's church, you know, when you were raised and that sort of thing. I'm asking you what has God said about it in His Word. And we need, again, to answer this very important question for ourselves. Now, last Sunday, we went through a list of 12 reasons why this subject of giving and receiving is important and a, and a subject worthy of our time. I'm not going to go back through that list of 12, but remember, I will share the last one with you, number 12. You can't have victory in life. <clears throat> I'm sorry, let me say it more clearly. You can't have victory in life without victory in your finances. You can't have victory in life without victory in your finances. And so when I woke up this morning, I, I of course, was meditating on the Word of God and, and, and the sermon today and, and picking up where we left off last week and, and how to effectively do that with, with limited review. And the Holy Spirit very clearly prompted 1 Samuel chapter 9 to my spirit, to my heart, to my, to my mind. And I'm not going to read 1 Samuel 9 and, and a good portion of chapter 10 to you now, but in the days ahead, we're going to go back to that and look at all of those verses as they relate to giving and receiving. But let me just quickly to share with you what the Holy Spirit is, is wanting to say to us from these passages. In 1 Samuel 9, we have this young, at this point, relatively unknown uh, man named Saul, young man named Saul, who God has chosen, uh, whom God has chosen to, to be the, the king of Israel, the, the inaugural king, the first uh, physical human king of his people Israel. Saul had no clue about any of that, right? But what he did have clue of was that his father's donkeys were missing. And we see later in the story where Saul sounds a lot like Gideon in the sense that we're of a very insignificant tribe and we're the least family in the least of the tribes. So there's no indication that this family had great wealth. But what we do know about a donkey and an agricultural society is that the donkey was perhaps the most valuable possession the family owned. And it wasn't just, you know, a show donkey 
it, it was a, a donkey that would have been critical to their farming. It would have been critical to even their, their transportation. And so, you know, somebody let the donkeys out, right? And Saul's dad instructs him to go and find the donkeys. And so in that lengthy chapter 9, 10, on into even chapter 11, we have the whole saga of, of Saul trying to find and, and bring home his family's donkeys. And, of course, they are coming up empty everywhere they uh, go, and someone has the idea to go see the prophet Samuel. There's a, there's a seer, as they were referred to before the scriptures began to call them prophets. There was a seer who could potentially help them. And so they go and find uh, Samuel, and as the story unfolds, Samuel tells him where the donkeys are. He tells him where they are. He tells him that they're safe and how to go and get the donkeys and get them back home to his father, all right? But this is what Samuel tells Saul after he explains to him that the donkeys are okay. He says, I want you to come back to me tomorrow and I will tell you everything that's in your heart. I want you to come back to me tomorrow and I will tell you everything that's in your heart. Now, think for a moment, why would the prophet have to tell him what was in his heart? It's because he didn't know. He didn't know what was in his heart. You think, well, how, how can somebody not know what's in their heart? The Bible says there's wisdom in you, but it has to be drawn out, right? Like dropping a bucket in a well, as, as Brother Donald Ballard says. It has to be, it has to be drawn out. As this relates to, to people like you and me who've been born again, the Bible says you've been given things and you possess things inside of you that you don't even know you have. But I want you to see, as it, again, what does this have to do with our, our study on giving and receiving? I guess we could say number 13 on the list of why this is so important. And this is what the Holy Spirit impressed upon me to share with you and all those watching on, online uh, with us now is that that we've got to get this financial issue settled once and for all in our lives because until we do it's it's going to be like Saul's family's donkeys it's going to be the thing that we are so focused on the thing that we're so obsessed with the thing that is is driving us right that we we are not open and and in a position to hear and to receive the things that Father God ultimately wants us to be focused on and obsessed with and consumed by. Are you seeing this? This is a counseling principle. When I teach counselors and help men and women understand how to be better counselors, you have to help people solve their donkey problem before you have the opportunity to really begin to speak into their life. In other words, whatever the urgent issue is in someone's life becomes the immediate issue it, it it becomes the one thing that has their their attention it has their focus again the thing that we become obsessed with the thing that we become consumed by and until you resolve that issue whatever it is and help them resolve that issue it's going to be very difficult for you to then explain to them and and deal with them and minister to them in in the more pertinent areas and 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 the connection that we're going to make on down the road in this study is when Jesus speaks in Luke the 16th chapter he talks about 
we've got to learn how to be faithful and trustworthy when it comes to the least, which is money, so that we can be given what is our own and so that we can, can receive true riches, true riches. What God ultimately gave to Saul and, what, and, and, and all the things that unfolded, and, and I'm hoping I'm, I'm, I'm motivating some of you to go home and read, don't do it now please, but maybe read it again for the first time, the story of Saul and Samuel and how he became king. We see that there were some very precious things that transpired in, in, in that whole, again, saga of him hunting down the donkeys. But why is this such an important thing? I mean, this is Christmas time, Pastor Mark, giving and receiving. I, mean, I know maybe we could tie in with Christmas as a season of giving, but, but what is that, why is that so important? It's so important because most of God's people think more on a weekly, daily basis about money than they do about Him. More, more occupied on, on getting money and, 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 and having what we need and earning money and paying the bills and this and that instead of what life is really about. Are you with me this morning? Jesus says this in Matthew, the sixth chapter. He said, is your, is your life not more than your next meal and your next change of clothes? And is it not more than the, than the roof over your head? He's not saying that the things that we need in life aren't important but that our life is much more important than those things. And yet, I'm not talking about the world now, I'm talking about God's people. God's people are so consumed, so obsessed with, with the next meal and the next change of clothes and paying the rent or paying the mortgage and, and making sure that we have Christmas paid for or at least can pay, pay it off on the credit card later or what have you. And, and it, it, that's what we become so obsessed and consumed with. There are different ways, you know, how about this question? If money were no object, how would you live? If, if, if you had all the money that you, you needed and then some, what would you do different in your life, right? What would you be focused on if you weren't focused on money? So why is this subject so important? We, we need to understand God's ways of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping so that we can reach a level, a significant enough level of victory in our finances to where that's, that's, that's not our main focus, that's not our main goal. Here's something, if, if you're not there already, listen to me now, and this may sound like an odd way of saying this, but for some of you this, this won't register with you, but others it will, okay? I want you to get to the point to where you can even put your power bill on auto pay. Oh, now look, we can, we can do those smaller bills like that, Pastor Mark. But you know, that power bill, it spikes in the summer, and, and I could overdraft my check. Now, see, again, that, this, this is what I'm talking about, to where you've got such victory in your finances that you don't even have to remember when the bills are due or how much they are. See, now we're free. Now we're free. To give and, and to do and to help and to sow and to love. Are you seeing this? So, oh, Pastor Mark, I, I, just don't, I just don't know about that. Well, you need to know about it. That's, that's, again, why is this so important? Why are we talking about it? This is important. This is important. Man, I remember the day. I, I say the day. I, that's maybe an exaggeration. I don't remember the exact date on my calendar. But I remember, you know, finally moved that Alabama power over into auto pay. Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's go there for a moment. It's a verse that we've looked at a few times already. See, once, once the urgent, I know you got it already, but let me just reset it one more time. Once the urgent, obsessive, how are we going to survive without these donkeys? What's my daddy going to do without these donkeys? What, and, and we even see that the, that, that the Lord began to speak to Saul. I probably should have just went ahead and preached out all that this morning, but there's some other things I'm trying to get to, so just stay with me, okay? <clears throat> that, that the Lord began to speak to Saul's heart and to Samuel's heart to confirm it, that his dad, he had been gone so long looking for the donkeys that his dad had stopped worrying about the donkeys and now started worrying about Saul. Right? Some of you in here, you have loved ones that you, you worry about because they're so consumed with finances and working and all this other stuff, right? Again, once that was all settled, it's like, okay, now we can actually focus on what is really important and, and what it is that God's plan for our lives, you know, actually, you know, those plans are and, and what he would actually have us to be focused on if money, you know, was no longer the driving factor in every decision we make. I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to irritate you. I'm, I'm, Thank you, Jesus. I think it was Max Lucado. He said uh, in one of his books, I forget which one, but he, he, you know how beautiful he writes. And he, and he was talking about um, being able to see it for other people and wishing that he could lend other people his eyes. Amen. You do realize that there's folks sitting around you this morning that can see things that you can't see yet. Samuel could see things that Saul couldn't see. Amen. You know, Saul's wondering how in the world his family is going to survive if he don't find these donkeys. That's where his whole focus and obsession is, right? He has no idea that Samuel's about to pour a flask of oil on his head in about eight days and make him king of Israel. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 8 in verse number 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, you realize how many people don't believe Jesus was rich? Well, you know, I mean, he was rich in heaven. No, he was rich on the earth. There's a Christmas tie-in for us, the, the three wise men, three kings. Three kings brought him a lifetime of wealth as baby gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. The garment that he had on at his trial was among the finest money could buy. It was a woven garment without seams. How, how many seams do you think is in this jacket I'm wearing? I'm after, I can count them. There's one there, there's one here. I mean, this, this was... Again, the, the soldiers gambled for it. See, it's back to those preconceived ideas that we have, these things that, that we were told that Scripture doesn't, doesn't support. Jesus had a home. He invited some of the early disciples to it. 
I'm not confident enough in this to, because nobody is to say for sure, but there are a lot of people who believe they, found, they have actually unearthed the foundation of Jesus' home. Archaeologists have. It was a fine home. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty, that through his poverty you might become rich. See, this parallels with he who knew no sin became your sin so that you could become his righteousness. To simply say that that only involved Jesus' righteousness in in heaven is, is a complete misunderstanding. Jesus came to this earth as a man and lived a sinless life on this earth as a man. He, he bought and paid for it as a human being. Jesus didn't take back what Adam lost as the eternal uncreated son of God. He could have done that, but it would have only belonged to him. He did it as a man so he could give it back to mankind, so he could give it back to me and you. So this idea that he was rich in heaven, came to the earth to be poor, no, He became poor, though he was rich on the earth. He became poor that for your sakes, so that you might become rich. He became poor for your sakes that you through his poverty might become rich. Preconceived ideas, preconceived notions. We think he was was spiritually rich. He was spiritually this, he was spiritually that. No, was rich means he possessed wealth, abundance, and riches. Became poor means like a beggar in abject poverty, completely destitute and helpless. So that you might become rich literally means from the Greek words that are translated into English, possessing an abundance of riches, wealth, and material goods. Now the truth of this passage though begins with an important assumption. And this is where a lot of people get way, way, way off base in trying to understand what this means. And that important assumption is you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Assuming that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to be so thankful and so grateful that He was willing to be made your sin so that you could be made His righteousness. And assuming that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be so grateful that He became poor so that you might become rich. If you do not understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 10 talks about those folks, right? What what did they do? They had a desire, a zeal even, to be right. But they were ignorant concerning the righteousness that God had provided for them. And so what did they do? They set out trying to earn their righteousness. They set out trying to make themselves right instead of submitting to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't earn grace. You can't can't do things to make God owe you what He's already given to you. So when we talk about Him becoming poor so that you might become rich, this is grace in the same way He became your sin so that you might become His righteousness. It's a gift that's been given. The door open for you being wealthy in this life on this earth is something Jesus opened at great cost to Himself for you. This is why the Apostle Paul said, I'm striving and continually striving to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Jesus put things in reach that were previously out of reach for us. 
righteousness, just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus Himself, who ever had any hope of ever obtaining that level of righteousness? But Jesus came, right? But God sent Jesus to be made your sin so that you could be made His righteousness, so that you could be just as right with God the Father as Jesus is. Not because you've earned it, not because you've come to church enough, not because you've read the Bible enough, not because you've been good enough, but because you were given that gift and that standing as as a grace gift. Jesus put it in reach for whosoever will now. Assuming that you understand the grace of God, He's now put you becoming rich within reach for you. It was previously out of reach for an overwhelming... Oh, sweet Jesus, do you realize how much poverty is in the world? It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus opened a door for you and me. Why do you think He was made your sin? He had to be made your sin so that you could be made His righteousness. He doesn't have to be in abject poverty, completely destitute and helpless, to become your sin. He could have bled to death naked on a cross a very wealthy man. And still paid for your sin. The last thing he had on this earth was that Armani suit that he had on, or whatever it was. He's sitting there bleeding to death, watching them gamble for it at his feet. Some Neanderthal minded. Roman soldier said, let's just tear it up. Let's rip it in half. And st- No, don't, don't you dare. Somebody said, don't you dare tear that. Look at that thing, man. That piece of clothing don't even have a seam in it. Yeah, I mean, you hanging there naked, bleeding to death, and like dogs fighting over your clothes? Didn't have to be that way. Why was it that way? He became poor so that you might become rich. You see, God's ways of sowing and reaping, giving and receiving for financial increase are expressions of His grace. This is God's grace. We have <clears throat> I know some of you aren't going to be familiar with this terminology, so let me just real quick, like I'm going to put this slide up and then we'll explain it. A buying and selling mindset views giving to receive as greed. A sowing and reaping mindset views giving to receive as grace. See, if you were like me, you were raised in a church that said you should never give to receive. We were told that over and over and over again. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches giving is how you receive. Think about that for a minute. So why do so many of God's people have it wrong? It's because we have been indoctrinated by a buying and selling economy. God does not operate through buying and selling. God operates through sowing and reaping. We have a buying and selling mindset trying to understand sowing and reaping principles. So with a a buying and selling mindset here is you should give to receive, we automatically throw up a red flag. That's greed. You're being greedy. 
But with a sowing and reaping mindset, giving to receive is God's grace. Grace meaning what? Meaning something God has given, an opportunity that God has provided, a door that God has opened for you that you don't deserve, that you can't earn. It's His unmerited, unearned favor, unearned, unmerited uh, gift that He's given. So let's think about it for a minute. Come on now, let's, let's drill on down in this for just a minute, okay? Let's think about it for a minute, all right? When you hold, let's just use corn. I like corn. Y'all, if y'all hadn't figured out when we go to seed, I usually go corn, okay? When you hold a kernel of corn in your hand, there is potential increase in that kernel of corn. There is potential in that kernel of corn to produce a stalk of corn with ears full of corn kernels uh, on it. Who put that potential in there? God put it in there. It's a gift. It's a gift. The increase contained in a seed is a gift from God. It cannot be earned or deserved. We must take specific steps to release and enjoy the increase, but make no no mistake about it, God is the source from which it comes. That's grace. Next time you shovel and niblet corn in your mouth, just think, that's grace. It's grace. God spoke it, did He not? Seed time and harvest, as long as, as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. Let's go through it one more time real quick like you ready. Where's the fruit? It's in the tree. Where's the seed? It's in the fruit. Where's the tree? It's in the seed. That's God. The fruit's in the tree. My son and Grace, Jake, he said, you need to, you need to make a slide or a drawing or something. Yeah. Amen, maybe we do, but think, think it through now. Part of it is I want you to meditate on this later, okay? God put fruit in that hard tree trunk. There's fruit in there. Why do we need to, why do we need to realize this? Because he's put some things in you. He's put stuff in you. Fruit of the Spirit in you. Fruit's in the tree. Seed's in the fruit. And then there's another tree in the seed. The ultimate success of a tree is not bearing fruit. The ultimate success of a tree is producing more trees that produce more fruit, that have more seeds, that have more trees. That's a gift. Remember what God said to Adam? See all these trees, son? Every one of them I've given them to you. And every one of them have seed within them to reproduce after their own kind. So when we, when we shift out of a buying and selling mindset into a sowing and reaping mindset, now we, we don't view giving to receive as greed, but we see that the grace of God has allowed virtually anything that you can comprehend, He's allowed you the opportunity to make it a seed. Think about that. 
Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, whatever a man sows, that means the money in your wallet or purse right now, God has opened a door for you to turn some of that money into a seed should you choose to do it. Should you choose to sow it, right? And just like there's potential in every kernel of corn to either me chew it up and consume it or me plant it, there's potential in every dollar bill. I can, I can turn it into bread and consume it on, on me and my family and other people that I love and, and what have you or people I don't even know. Or I can plant it. That's grace. Are you seeing this? That's grace. The reason God's people are broke is because they don't, they don't understand this. Or those who do understand it, they've, they've, they've not yet developed enough trust and honor for God and, 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 and deemed Him trustworthy enough to actually practice this. looking at the time and I'm looking at all these notes and now I'm looking at the communion amen <clears throat> do you know you were created to be great you were created to be powerful you were created to be influential fruitful let me say it another way you were created to be in control. I just heard some wife say, please don't tell my husband that. Amen. No, no, see, not. <laughs> Did you know you were created for abundance? You were created to be right. The problem is not in desiring power, control, greatness, influence, recognition, success, or even wealth. The problem is, is in how we go about trying to satisfy these God-given destinies. We'll begin here next week, but what we see in Scripture is this unique combination of things that are both your origin and your destiny. They're your origin and your destiny. Your origin was righteousness and your destiny is righteousness. Your origin was dominion. Let them have dominion. God created man, male and female. He created them. Created Adam, male and female. And he said, let them have, let them rule. See, dominion is your origin. And in Christ, it's your destiny. Are you seeing this? Now, I could list a whole bunch of those. Some people would amen quicker than others. But the reality of it is this. Abundance was your origin. And it's also your destiny.
The devil has stolen so much from God's people by convincing them that any promise they understand from the scriptures and begin to incorporate into their thinking, he steals it from them by shifting it to one day in heaven. Right? By his stripes you were healed. So one day in heaven we'll be healed. So all of these all these things that that are for your life reality now that we're to be proving what is the good, beneficial, and all-encompassing will of God for mankind right here, right now on this earth. The devil has stolen so much from God's people by convincing us to kick the can down the road and wait for it one day in heaven. Jesus bled to death naked on a cross to secure your eternal destination. But the same blood that allowed your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life is the same blood that was shed to give you daily victory every day of your life here on this earth. In every area of your life. Victory over sin, victory over sickness, victory over poverty and lack, victory over confusion, victory over dominant negative emotions. We could go on and on and on. But what all five of those things have in common? They're a result of sin and the fall of man and the curse that came for Adam's sake. But aren't you glad for the new Adam, the last Adam, Jesus? And we've been born of his seed. We've been born again. And he became a curse for you. He came under the curse that had us pinned down. He lifted it off of you and he carried it away. So that God's blessing now, the same blessing that was on Abraham. That made him so rich he didn't even know how rich he was. Can be on you and me. Amen. Singers and musicians, would you come, please? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I know it's Matt, Vanessa, and Daniel, but I say singers and musicians because I'm looking for the day when I say that and about nine people come up here on all these different instruments and stuff. Amen? Praise the name of the living God. Orchestra, would you come, please? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You get anything out of this? Amen. Amen. All right. Brother Pops, those that are helping serve, if y'all would come, please. If you're a guest with us this morning, we would love for you to partake of communion together with us. It was brought to my attention some years ago that some churches only serve communion to uh, folks that are members of that particular church. We believe if you're a part of the body of Christ, you're a part of us and we're a part of you. And that Jesus shed his blood for all of us, amen, to do this in remembrance of him. What I ask is that if you're served first, if you would hold your emblems until everyone is served, and then we will partake together and just remain in an attitude of worship. They're going to lead us as, um, as the men serve you this morning. Praise God.